If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Mark chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, please make use of the Bible located in the seat rack in front of you. You can turn to page 709. Thank you so much, Josh and team, this morning for leading us into the presence of the Lord. This morning we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking specifically at the passage in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 30. And I've entitled the message this morning, True Freedom. And uh, in a sense, this is just a continuation of what the Lord has been speaking to us. We talked about true change and true change too, back to the future, and um, just kind of continuing to press in to these very foundational places, because the Lord is continuing to do radical shift among us, returning us and coming back to the roots. He's not interested in simply rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. He's interested in actually going to the very structural parts of our lives and um, bringing us into a place of true and genuine freedom in Him. Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that He and His disciples were not even able to eat. And when His family heard about this, they went to take charge of Him, for they said, He's out of His mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. Well, how can Satan divide, drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Now let me just take a moment to walk through the passage and then we're going to unpack it even just a little bit more. Now the, the context here is... Jesus has just appointed 12 apostles. And notice what it says about that in those verses prior, back in verses 13 and 14. He appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with Him. And that He might send them out to preach. I think even prophetically we've heard this morning again, if we're, our calling is to be an apostolic house of prayer for all nations well, the very first part of being an apostolic house is to be with Him. We're with Him and then we go and do the stuff. But you can't do the stuff if you're not with Him. <laughs> so He pointed them to be with Him and then to go out and do this work. And we note in the passage right before that that the crowds have been pressing in and following Him and, and, and Jesus continues to, to teach and to preach and to proclaim as well as there's that continued um, issuing forth of His life in healing and deliverance and salvation to the crowds who have come. And so the crowds are once again 
pressing around him. In fact, they're pressing around him so much that he's not even able to eat. Now, it doesn't tell us what house we're in, but it probably wouldn't be, you know, too much of a stretch to seeing that, that Peter and Andrew's house was there in Capernaum. It's quite possible that Jesus and his disciples have gathered there at Peter and Andrew's home. And they're gathered there and the crowds are pressing in. And now, suddenly entering the scene, we have Jesus' family. His family has made the journey from Nazareth, 30 miles away, to come to Capernaum. And what have they come with the purpose to do? They have come to take charge of Him. The word there in the Greek is the same word for arrest Him. Basically, it, it means to take Him by the hand. They have come to take Him by the hand and take charge of Him. Why? Well, clearly, from their perspective, Jesus is beside Himself. He's at wit's end. He's, he's actually out of His mind. He's, going, he's having some kind of psychological break. He's no longer functioning rationally. I mean, he's not taking care of his health. There's times he's not even eating or sleeping. He has these visions of grandeur and he has this mission that he's on and he seems to have given himself completely and totally to this mission. He's left behind safety and security. Clearly, Something's wrong. And not only that, but think about it. And those of you who understand this better would know even better than I, you understand the cultural dynamics present here. Don't forget, Jesus is the eldest brother. And as far as we know, Joseph is no longer living. And so as the eldest brother, what is the responsibility of the eldest brother? Take care of the family. Jesus, how are you taking care of the family when you don't even have a home to sleep in? No income to send back and to help us. All you're doing is pursuing this pipe dream. You must be out of your mind. Now next week, there'll be more about Jesus' family and some of the dynamics and things there. So I won't go into any further, but I just... I want you to kind of get that context here. So Jesus' family have come, and Jesus is there with his disciples, and the crowd is pressing around. And then it says, the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem. Now, at first blush, that sounds just a little bit innocuous. I mean, okay, so they've come down. Well, the context, again, we need to understand here what's going on. These are not just simple, ordinary folks who have come down to find out what's going on. These are experts in the law who are investigators who are coming to find out what's going on in Capernaum if it's possible that this whole city is going out of its mind collectively 
following the her- heretical teaching and preaching of some itinerant teacher who has certainly not been sanctioned by the Sanhedrin to do what he's doing. So this is no sort of uh, casual kind of of, uh, thing that's happening here. This is a very deliberate investigation that's going on to find out if this runaway preacher is preaching and teaching heresy and going against the clear teachings of the law and the Scriptures. Well, they come down. They've had their investigation. And as a result of the investigation, they make two charges against Jesus. The first charge is he's possessed by Beelzebub. Clearly, he is possessed by the prince of demons. The second charge is that by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So both he is possessed And all the works that are issuing forth from Him, the miracles and the exorcisms are all being done not in the power of God, but in the power of Satan. That is the accusation and charges that are being brought against Jesus. So Jesus talks to them. And He speaks to them in parables because somehow as He speaks to them in these parables... He's able to sort of, you know, without directly attacking what they're saying, he undermines completely and shows the fallacy of their logic. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Do you think he might be having even his family in mind here? I don't know. (laughs) And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. But clearly the evidence is, is that Satan's end has not yet come. Because he is still demonizing people. People are still, there is still sickness and there is still bondage and there is still injustice and there is still all of those things. So clearly that can't be the case. And the purview of Satan is the purview of death and destruction. So if the author of death and destruction, the one who is, who is, who is doing that? That's the, the realm in which he is operating. How could it be? Why would Satan then drive out death and destruction from those who are in bondage to it? That would be madness. That would be impossible. Satan wouldn't possibly do that. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. 
Clearly this can't be the case. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. Okay, let's, let's pause there for a moment. The second parable here. No one can tie up the, the, the strong man. I mean, no one can rob the house of the strong man unless he's first tied up and then he can remove his possessions. The picture here is of a palace coup. Jesus is starting to speak of himself now. Who's gone in and tied up the strong man and done a coup to bring liberation to those who are in captivity. And then he says these words, I tell you the truth. And if you have a King James, perhaps it says, verily, verily there, or truly, truly. This is a phrase Jesus uses several times throughout the Scripture for the specific purpose of highlighting the importance of what he is saying as well as highlighting where that where what he is about to say is coming from. This is the very words of God now speaking. And he's speaking here to these teachers of the law, as well as in the overhearing of the disciples, and his family, and the crowds. And he says, Amen, truly, verily, in truth, I say to you, all the sins and blasphemes of, the, of men will be forgiven them. Now, there's a marvelous promise there. Whatever your past looks like, <laughs> no matter how broken it may have been, the Lord has grace to forgive. All of our sins. Hallelujah! And then he goes on to say these words which have frightened people down through all the generations since he said them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. What's that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Is it possible for me to accidentally do it and not know? No. What he's talking about is a defiant resistance and rebellion against God. Which denies His very Lordship and also, not only that, attributes the work of God to the work of Satan. This is not something that you might casually do. In fact, if you're concerned that you've done it, you haven't done it. Because you wouldn't be concerned. But there is a very sober warning to us. Not 
to defiantly rebel against him. All right. Let's unpack this just a little bit more. This won't take long. Kingdoms in conflict. You've seen this before and you'll see it probably again, but it's a helpful portrait of reminding us of what's going on here. This present kingdom began and Satan chose to rebel against God. And he and a third of the angels who became demons cast out of heaven. And then creation and Adam and Eve and the enemy came and deceived and Eve and Adam rebelled against God and sin and death came into the world this present kingdom began the kingdom to come was inaugurated when Jesus came to earth he said the kingdom is near in fact in places he said the kingdom of God is now among you it's here And when Jesus came, He inaugurated, He declared, He announced that the kingdom to come has arrived. That kingdom which has been inaugurated will be consummated when He comes again. And at that point, this present kingdom will end. But the kingdom to come will go on eternally. And in the midst of it, we stand as the church caught between these two kingdoms which are in conflict with one another. And so we see healing. So we see deliverance. So we see salvation. So we see justice. But we don't see the fullness of them yet. The kingdom is already here, but it's also not yet because it's still coming in the fullness of it. But the kingdom has invaded the strong man's house. The kingdom of God has invaded this earthly kingdom under the rulership of the enemy, but the great ruler, the true ruler, the one who reigns and rules eternally, has come. To experience true freedom, there are three encounters that we each need to have with Jesus. The first encounter that we need to have with Him is what I would call a truth encounter. A truth encounter. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this to the Jews who had believed Him. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Free indeed. But it's an encounter with the truth that sets us free. The keys that are talked about and that we often pray about, you know, and the binding and loosing has to do with the binding up of falsehood and the releasing of truth. It's not just a magical, mystical, waving your hands around. It has to do with the foundation of truth. 
the truth that will set us free. The second encounter is that of a power encounter. And we see this throughout the scriptures. And we see it contemporaneously, all over. We see the encounters, the power encounters. In the parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke, these additional words are recorded by by, by Luke as he's talking about this very scene that we're in right now. He says, Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But... If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Now that passage, that phrase, the finger of God, shows up in the book of Exodus first where the magicians in the midst of, remember, as, as Moses is before Pharaoh and, and the people of God are, are and he's pleading for their, for their release from the bondage of Egypt. And there's all these plagues that are going on. The magicians say to Pharaoh in the midst of this, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen just as the Lord had said. The power encounter is between the finger of God and the hardness in our hearts. The world, the flesh, and the enemy are dedicated to resisting the work of God. But His finger comes and His finger is able with just his finger to destroy the works of darkness. I love that picture. James shared about it last week, and I will emphasize and remind you of it and put an exclamation mark on it. In our current contemporaneous society, we often think about that evil and good are equal and opposite. That Satan and God are somehow equal. They are not. All of the kingdoms of the enemy that he puts up, all of his power, all it takes is the finger of God. Just his finger. He's not even breaking a sweat. Just his finger. If this is being done by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God. And in our lives, to experience true freedom, there will be power encounters. There will be those times when the Spirit of God comes into our life and reveals to us the places of resistance that the world, the flesh, or the enemy have erected in our hearts. And there's a power encounter. But when we submit to Him, He always wins. So there's a third encounter, and it's what I would call an allegiance encounter. This is a third encounter that each of us must have to walk in the fullness of freedom, true freedom. Who are you going to serve? In the immortal words of Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. Who are you going to serve? Again, James referenced this scripture last week. It's one of my favorites as well. In John chapter 6, Jesus is doing this teaching and it's very difficult and the people are struggling with it. And he says, and they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. 
Yet there are those of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray Him. And He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled them. From that time, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that You are the Holy One of God. Where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to turn to? We've only got you. That's the allegiance encounter. The encounter where we say, who who are we going to serve? Who are you going to follow? Who's going to lead your life? You? Your friends? The world? The enemy? Let me tell you, all of those are going to simply drive you. But the Lord wants to lead you by His Spirit. Mm. 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 Three encounters. Truth, power, allegiance. When he does, he wants to go in and he wants to go into the house of the strong man so that you can face the enemy and welcome his, him as your liberator. So let's just talk very briefly about what it what the enemy, how, how does the strong man bind you up? How are you bound in your life by the strong man? Three particular tools that he will use to bind up your life. The first is pride. The first is pride. And pride will issue forth in legalism and control. And that legalism will look differently. I mean, for the obviously for the Pharisees it became a very you know, a legalistic issue around the rules and regulations and laws, all of those things. But legalism can look like a lot of things in our lives. But it's basically a human construct intended for us to somehow make ourselves acceptable to God. And it's all about, pride is all about control. And hanging on to control in our lives. That's what pride produces in us. Secondly, there's the bondage of unbelief, which issues forth in independence and rebellion. I did it my way. If you don't like doing it my way, you can take the highway. Independence and rebellion are the product of of being bound in unbelief. And then there's the bondage of fear. And the product of fear comes out in a couple of different, which seemingly opposite ways. One is rejection. It's the orphan victim rejection. The other is striving and the perfectionism and the the whole grasping. Two seemingly opposite, but at the heart, the same root. The root is fear. The word of the Lord to you this morning is this. The liberator is here. And if you will welcome the liberator, he will set you free. True freedom. And how does he untie those knots? Well, he unties them with the release of his grace. It's grace 
that breaks the power of pride. The Scripture says it's your kindness that has led us to repentance. Grace is something unearnable. It isn't about you. It's about Him. And He graciously leads you into a place of relationship and surrender. Instead of building your own construct, suddenly you're in relationship. And there's this invitation to surrender. The bondage of unbelief is untied by the release of faith, which issues forth in dependence and obedience. Instead of independence, I'm doing it my way. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on You. Instead of rebelliously going my way, I will be in obedience to You, Lord, and what You have spoken and what You are saying and what You desire to do in my life. Fear. How do you untie fear? A lot of times people think that you untie fear with faith. That faith is the antidote to fear. It's actually not. That's that's not correct. The antidote to fear, Scripture is very clear. The antidote to fear is the love of God. He unties our fear with His love. Perfect love casts out all fear. When we experience the love of God, we suddenly walk into this place of deep acceptance. We walk into this place of deep peace. You cannot get there any other way than through the release of His love. He is the liberator who has gone into the strong man's castle and bound the prince of darkness, taken captivity captive for the purpose of setting us free. Welcome the liberator today into your heart, into your life and experience true freedom. Worship team, please come on up. One last scripture this morning from Acts chapter 26. The experience of the Apostle Paul. He describes it several times in the book of Acts, but here he is once again. And he says to the king, I was going to Damascus with authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions and we all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I asked, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here is the heart of the Lord to you and to me. He desires to take us out of darkness and into light from the power of Satan to God to receive forgiveness of sins and we might belong to those who have a place who've been sanctified in Him. And He desires to then send us out to be bearers, messengers, 
of the liberating power of Christ. That's his heart. Ah, this morning, won't you receive him? Won't you receive this Savior, this Lord? Won't you let him just reign in your life? We're going to sing, Lord, reign in me. We'll sing, Lord, reign in me. And just invite him to take that control, that rulership, to surrender to Him, to bring whatever bondages are there in your life and release them into His hands today. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior and Lord, today is a day of salvation. Today the Lord wants to liberate you and free you. Today He wants to bring you into life. He is not the one who brings death and destruction. He's the one who brings life, life to the full. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but not Jesus. He's no thief. And He's here to bring you into life today.